And now, and now, and now, item, 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 item with Tommy Lee. Item with Tommy Lee. Tommy Lee. Item number 92, David Ogden Styers, an appreciation. I'm Tommy Lee, and this is the Item Podcast. It's my random record button, and this time around, it's a tribute to David Ogden Styers. Item. I was seven years old when season six of MASH began in September of 1977. Like most children of the 70s, my evenings in the living room with the family were generally centered on the excellent sitcoms and dramas of the day. In our house, comedies reigned supreme, but we loved everything. The Love Boat, The Incredible Hulk, they were new that year on the air. Happy Days had recently spun off Laverne and Shirley. And we were also pretty loyal in our house to Welcome Back Cotter and Alice and the Six Million Dollar Man. WKRP in Cincinnati had yet to enter my life and pretty much determine what I wanted to do with it. But the undisputed champion in our home was MASH. We were a military family, and it was a military series with humor, drama, life lessons, a little history, wit, intelligence, slapstick. The show had it all. And like any good television show, it gave us a preloaded villain in the form of Major Frank Burns of Fort Wayne, Indiana. Old Ferret Face and his in-camp girlfriend, Major Margaret Houlihan, were the perfect counterweight to Captains Hawkeye Pierce and his friend B.J. Honeycutt and Trapper John McIntyre before him. The show was a ratings juggernaut, a top ten mainstay with no signs of stopping, even though a major change, pun intended, was ready to go on that Tuesday night in September of 1977. Unbeknownst to much of its audience, including the aforementioned seven-year-old kid at Wordsmith Air Force Base, Michigan, actor Larry Linville had had a sit-down with newly minted executive MASH producer Burt Metcalf and the rest of the show's creative team. Linville's contract was up, and he was tired of trying to find ways to keep Major Burns interesting. In a documentary about the series released shortly before his death in 2000, Linville said that he had taken Burns about as far as Burns could go, and it was time to step away from the role and the show. So this left a major, again intended, hole in the cast, and within the opening minutes of the season six premiere, It had been made pretty obvious to us that Frank Burns had lost his marbles completely. He was running amok in Seoul after overextending his leave. He was technically AWOL. He probably wouldn't be coming back. His love interest's wedding had pushed Burns over the edge. He'd gone crazier than Corporal Klinger had ever pretended to be. Enter Major Charles Emerson Winchester III, whom we first meet in the process of beating the pants off of his commanding officer in Tokyo at the game of cribbage. The colonel who's losing is into the major for more than $600, and as Charles chuckles at his good fortune, the colonel is on the phone answering the call for a replacement surgeon at the 4077. The colonel is rid of Winchester, at least for a little while. Of course, a little while becomes the remainder of the war. And the TV series, which was a bit longer. Winchester was the anti-Frank Burns in a lot of ways. Arrogant and aristocratic rather than spineless and climbing. Gifted with a scalpel rather than bungling in the OR. And where Burns was prone to constant fits of tantrum, Winchester was more of a rising gorge and plotting revenge with his vast resources kind of guy. There were episodes sprinkled here and there over the years where they hinted that they might be trying to pair him romantically with Houlihan as they had with Burns, but... Thankfully, that never happened. Their dynamic would have suffered for it, as would the entire show. 
Anyway, we watched the machinations of Frank Burns with a thin layer of contempt, sprinkled with perhaps some flakes of pity over the first five seasons. But for seasons six through 11, we saw Charles Emerson Winchester go from Machiavellian schemer and raging egotist to fragile human being with a real soul, even though he kept it hidden well under his veneer of aristocratic air. In many ways, Winchester was the richest character in the history of MASH, and I'm not referring to his family's vast wealth, which he talked about often. So much of the character was a product of the writing, of course, but also of the performance that David Ogden Stiers gave every single time he was in front of the cameras. Take, for example, season seven's Dear Sis, which was a Christmas episode centered on Father Mulcahy. Here, we see Winchester extremely depressed about being in Korea for the holidays, a very human reaction that everyone in the camp is actually experiencing in that episode, which is something that makes him more of an equal than he would ever admit to. Mulcahy, of course, recognizes this, writes to Charles's family back in Boston, and arranges for a surprise to be sent that Charles can open up at the camp's Christmas party. The gift is the man's childhood toboggan hat. Charles, notoriously miserly, weeps in thanks to Mulcahy, handing him whatever cash he has on him for the orphans that are in Mulcahy's charge. We see him wearing that hat often in winter-themed episodes, by the way, for the rest of the series. But Winchester's finest Christmas moment came in the other holiday episode, Season 9's Death Takes a Holiday, and yes, it's sad that I know the episodes and the seasons, in which he, again, is not the main character. You've seen it, no doubt. It's where he carries on a family tradition of delivering, in utmost secrecy, fine handcrafted chocolates to underprivileged children. Winchester is a man who lives to feed his own ego, but in this single act, he refuses any acknowledgement that he has even made this gesture. Family tradition. This is a depth that we never saw in Major Frank Burns, another character who was based deeply in the concept of what's in it for me. Styers gave us many other fine performances as well and played the egotist card just as handily as those cards that he laid down while winning other people's money on the show. Dr. Winchester and Mr. Hyde stands out in particular, and it's worth seeking out if you've never seen the episode. Charles, still in his first season on the show, is having trouble keeping up with the pace of life at the 4077, and he begins taking amphetamines to keep his energy up. Of course, he becomes an addict, and the captains have to dry him out, cementing the true core of the three's surreptitious friendship. His deterioration over the course of the episode is as fine a piece of dramatic acting as you could find in 1978, especially in 25 or so minutes. But it was Winchester's exit more than anyone else's that gave us pause in the series finale. Goodbye, Farewell, and Amen packed an awful lot into its two-plus hours. Hawkeye's dealing with a serious emotional problem after watching a mother kill her baby. Spoiler. Mulcahy is dealing with going deaf after being too close to an exploding shell. BJ is going home, and then he has to come back. Margaret is really torn about what to do with the rest of her life. Klinger is marrying his Korean girlfriend, and he has to stay in country while they search for her family. The storylines are fantastic in the finale, which they should be, considering how many people wrote it. As for Charles, he discovers that a small ensemble of musicians are tucked among the Chinese prisoners in the makeshift detention paddock that's been built in the middle of the camp. He decides to become their conductor and teaches them Mozart, although it turns out they actually knew Mozart. He's just trying to refine it. And of course, the story ends in tragedy. 
as stories in war often do. Charles shows every inch of having been scarred forever by the experience. And I defy you not to picture the storyline whenever you hear the word Dolce. I will take him second. What else you got? This POW over here. He was in the back of the truck when it was hit. Half his chest is gone. Does he even have a pulse? Is there anything we can do for him, Doctor? Doctor? He wasn't even a soldier. He was a musician. What happened to the other people in the truck with him? He's the only one that made it this far. Major. We have to prep the others. Why don't you take a break? Look, I could go on for hours and hours and hours about MASH. Just ask my wife. MASH is my favorite TV show. In the days before you could find everything online or buy DVDs of full seasons of your favorite shows, I spent seven years, seven years, recording every single episode of MASH on video. And after seven years of constant recording, I finally caught the last episode that I needed to complete my collection. Uh, Ironically, it was the aforementioned Dr. Winchester and Mr. Hyde, which for some reason took me forever to catch. I still have many of those videotapes, also filled with the commercials and promos for WNEM Saginaw, KUSA Denver, KOTA Rapid City, and other TV stations. And of course, then the DVDs came out, making the whole thing moot, but it was a lovely ride while it lasted. To keep going here on and on and on about MASH would be to ignore the rest of Styers' body of work, which was impressive and fantastic. His mentor, for crying out loud, was the famous John Hausman, and he studied at Juilliard after he did improv work with people like Ron Howard and Rob Reiner. Not familiar with either of those names. Flashes in the pan, I'm sure. Anyway, after my generation enjoyed him in our childhood as Major Winchester, our own kids were able to appreciate him as Mr. Cogsworth in Disney's animated Beauty and the Beast, for which he also voiced the opening narration. By the way, he also lent his voice to several other movies, a lot of them Disney, Stuff like Pocahontas, The Hunchback of Notre Dame, Atlantis, The Lost Empire, uh, a Batman cartoon in there somewhere. Uh, He was also the voice of the weird-looking scientist who created and then hunted Stitch in Lilo and Stitch as well, including the TV series. Styers had a recurring role in 1980s Perry Mason TV movies. He played FDR in two different TV movies. He put an interesting spin on Reverend Purdy in Stephen King's The Dead Zone. And he also played the town doctor in a forgotten Jim Carrey film that I love called The Majestic, which I believe was one of the first dates that I went on with my wife, if not the first. I digress. Styers did voice work for several video games as well and a number of books on tape. In fact, the only reason that I bought the audiobook version of Tom Clancy's Clear and Present Danger, which I had already read and owned, was because of the words read by David Ogden Styers staring at me from the box. Had to have it. Less is known about the other half of his performance life. Many of his fans know that he was a conductor, but a lot of them don't. His love of classical music, which was written into MASH, was sincere. It was steeped in truth. Styers was a musician, and he was a conductor who waved the baton in front of several dozen orchestras all over the world. 
I've seen video of him guest conducting. He looked like a man possessed when he was up there, like all good conductors should be. I took a conducting class at Interlochen as a teenager because I had always wanted to have that look in my eye while standing on a podium facing an orchestra, keeping their time. Something I never did. There's more. There's a lot more. But I'll wrap it up here by saying that I was just a big fan. We need more people working in the arts who can bring the poise and power of David Ogden Stiers. Not fewer of them. The older we get, the more my generation says goodbye to the heroes of our childhood. Even the ones who seem woefully undersold and forgotten. Thanks again for indulging me on this one. I hate it when we lose anyone from MASH. Meanwhile, over at my other podcast, we are about to post episode four of Share to Mashare on the Archive podcast on Friday. I hope you're following the story and enjoying it half as much as my mother is. This has been the Item Podcast, an exercise in self-indulgence. Send all queries, comments, and maybe your favorite MASH memories to the Item Podcast at gmail.com or check it out on Facebook. And raise a snifter of fine cognac to the man himself. Podcast by Federated Media. Podcast by Federated Media.